Today's text is Psalm 134, page 519 in the Red Pew Bibles. Come bless the Lord. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. Michael's learned the dress code here at Regen, so that's good. (laughs) Making progress in his internship. Uh, Well, good morning, everybody. My name is uh, Steve. I'm the associate pastor here at Regen, and I hope you guys all had a great Thanksgiving week. Um, Got a chance to celebrate with uh, family uh, and friends, and uh, and it's good to be together here on this uh, this Sunday. We're in kind of a, a transitional moment in our calendar. We've been in the, uh, in the Gospel of Mark for a while, and uh, we will not be back in Mark until uh, next year when we'll wrap that up, and then we'll begin a, uh, the next series that Albert will go through um, early in the spring. And then starting next week, we actually begin uh, our Advent series, and we start to focus on Christmas, and we've got the Christmas coffee house coming up, and, and the kids will be up here on the stage uh, doing their little choir thing, and so we're going to really get into the Christmas season over the next couple of weeks, but today... We're going to wrap up our time in the Psalms. And so before we get into this, let's just open in a word of prayer and in the spirit of thanksgiving, a word of gratitude. So pray with me. Father, we, um, we do come before you this morning with grateful hearts. And uh, for some of us, maybe this last week was really challenging or difficult for a variety of reasons. Um, maybe there's just other stuff going on in our life that we bring in here this morning. It can feel difficult to be grateful for those things. So Father, wherever we are this morning, as we come into this place, as we come into this time where we reflect on your word, would you calm our spirits? Would you soften our hearts so that we can be receptive to what you need to say to us today? And not only receptive, but, but ready to take a, a step, a step of faith, a step closer uh, to the life that you invite us into. Father, we're grateful for the time that we've been able to spend in the Psalms over the past year. And just ask now that this uh, moment of wrapping it all together would, uh, would be illuminating and challenging. And would help us to see that you are with us. In all things, whatever we are going through, you are there with us in that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, every night at our dinner table, we we share our highs and our lows from the day. Uh, This is an important practice for us for a whole bunch of different reasons. One of them is simply we have small children, and so dinner can sometimes descend into a bit of chaos, and so it's good to have some structure. And this conversation of of reflecting on our day and sharing our highs and lows gives us something to do, something to talk about other than like, don't stick peas up your nose or whatever, whatever it is on that particular night. So it helps structure those conversations, but it also builds uh, this discipline of reflection, of 
thinking about our day, the things that made an impact on us. Why did that thing feel good? And that other experience that I had, why did that not feel good? What stuck with me today? Why are, why are those things important? This discipline of reflection. This is also an important moment for our family because so often the attention that we give to one another is very functional. You know, get your shoes on, brush your teeth, put on your pants. That applies to all of us in our family. (laughs) But this moment around the dinner table where we're sharing highs and lows and and what went on in our day is, it's not functional. It's just purely relational. This moment where all the attention of everyone else is focused on the person who is sharing. And that can be a really good thing for all of us, but especially, again, for our kids. Now, those things are are all great structure and reflection and the attention that we give to one another. But underneath all of that is an even deeper truth, a spiritual truth that's being reinforced in that moment. And it's this, it's that everything matters. It all matters. The high points of our day are meant to be celebrated together. The low points are meant to be mourned together. We don't hide our lows, we don't pretend that everything is great all the time. We bring our full days, our full selves to the dinner table and we talk about all of it. We name all of it, the highs and the lows. Now some of us, we may have grown up in families where one or the other was emphasized. Maybe your family was all about highs. Everything was about looking good, achievements, grades, being the captain of the team. Whatever those markers of success were, it was about those things and celebrating those things and trying to get more of those things. It's all about highs. Others of us, maybe we grew up in a family where it was all about lows. Dinner was about the airing of grievances. My dad grew up in a family like this, where every night it was, everyone was listening to his dad complain about how terrible the world was, how awful his job was, how everyone was out to get him. Nothing but lows. But neither of those perspectives, all highs or all lows, is a biblical perspective on life. Scripture tells us none of us is perfect. Psalm 14, they've all turned aside. Together they become corrupt. There's none who does good, not even one. Scripture never guarantees that our life is going to go well all the time. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. It's impossible to only have highs. That's not the whole story, of course. Your life is not a series of lows either. Back to that uh, uh, verse where Jesus is speaking in John 16. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, way back at the beginning, when we started this journey in the Psalms, we looked at Psalm 1, and we saw that Psalm 1 is an introduction to the book. It's an invitation to a certain kind of life. What kind of life are you going to choose? Are you going to choose the way of wisdom, the life of the righteous, or are you going to choose the way of the wicked and the foolish? That Psalm says the righteous are like a tree planted by streams of water, and it's this image of this immovable, deeply rooted tree that's able to withstand the highs and the lows. A righteous person, a wise person, knows how to move through both the highs and the lows of life, and it knows 
to use some language from Psalm 134, what we're going to look at here in just a moment. It knows how to bless. No matter what our circumstances of life may be. Now again, today we're wrapping up our time in the Psalms. Um, We will probably come back to the Psalms at some point. There's still 135 left, so we've barely (laughs) scratched the surface. This is not like the end end. But for now, we're going to hit pause on this series. And again, we're going to turn to Advent and then we're going to continue and finish our Mark series and then move on to some other things here in the new year. But as we wrap this up, at least for this time, I want to remind us of some of the, the big ideas that we've been exploring as we've made our way through this. And so the first is is simply what we've been talking about. The Psalms are all about the highs and the lows of life. They do not uh, sugarcoat or gloss over anything. And I've shared this quote a couple of times. It's worth revisiting here uh, today. Eugene Peterson says it this way, Psalms language is not careful about offending our sensibilities. It's genius is its complete disclosure of the human spirit as it makes response to the revealing God. And the key phrase there is complete disclosure. It's all there in the Psalms. The gift of the Psalms is that it gives us language. It gives voice to the joy, the frustration, the disappointment, to injustice, to the relationships that we enjoy, the blessings that we receive, all the different experiences that we might have in life, it's all here given voice to in the Psalms. All the highs and all the lows. Now, in particular, we've focused most of our time on the Psalms of Ascents. And we've seen that these were songs sung by Hebrew pilgrims as they made their way to Jerusalem for one of the major festivals of the year. A good Hebrew would have done this three different times. And so think about that, doing this three times, singing these songs on your way to Jerusalem, year after year after year, they became, the the truths and the themes in these psalms became a significant part of their formation. Would have become deeply ingrained in who they are, these themes of worship and justice, work and service, the importance of community, Themes of joy and hope and humility. All these things that we've been exploring as we've spent time here would have been part of their formation and they are still extremely relevant to our formation as disciples of Jesus. So we've been looking at this as a guide for us as people who are trying to follow in the way of Jesus. We've also seen how these psalms were intended, always intended to be sung Communally, the journey to Jerusalem was not one that you did alone. And in the same way, following Jesus, discipleship in the way of Jesus is not a solo affair. We're always formed by the community, the relationships that we are a part of. Now, one final thing, and this has sort of been implicit throughout our study in the Psalms, and I want to make it much more explicit this morning. The Psalms are much less about transferring information. Although they are full of of wonderful and good information, they're less about transferring information and far more about shaping our imaginations. A couple of examples. Okay, rather than saying, I'm in a tough spot, the Psalms will say things like this, out of the depths 
I cry to you, O Lord. Rather than saying something like, well, God's pretty cool, the Psalms will say, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth, speaking about their enemies. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth this vivid language. One more. Rather than saying, hey, it's a good idea to have some friends, the Psalms say things like this, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. We talked about this one a couple months ago. Information is good. It's important. We need good information, but we are so much more than brains walking around on two legs, right? We are flesh and blood and spirit. We are minds, yes, but also strength and heart and soul. And so the Psalms speak to all of that, speak to the whole person. And I think a significant problem in the modern church is that we have so much good information. We almost have too much information. But at the same time, our imaginations have been stunted. And when they are formed, they're formed way more often by marvel than they are by Scripture. And so my hope, my prayer, as we've been in this series, is that the Psalms, you begin to look to the Psalms to, to shape your imagination. Not just to gather more information about yourself or about God, but to shape what I would call a holy imagination that begins to see all aspects of our lives as spiritual. And in particular, to see that God is with us in all of our highs and lows. Now, let's read Psalm 134 one more time. It's a short little psalm that wraps up the Psalms of Ascents. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. It should be fairly obvious what the main theme of this psalm is, right? It's this word bless. And this idea of blessing, it runs all through these 15 psalms. I would argue it's the theme that runs all the way through the Old Testament. And to recap where we've been a little bit, Psalm 120 begins with this sense of no blessing. <laughs> blessing is, is in some far off place. It's this recognition that I am not in a good place. And so I need to, I need to turn. I need to head out in a, in a new direction, a different direction. And then from there, it kind of starts to build. Psalm 121, God blesses us by protecting us on this journey, this new direction that we head out in. God is watching over us. Psalm 122, the blessing is the arrival in Jerusalem. And now we're here. We're in this city, in the temple, this holy place, communing with God and with other people. Psalm 124, the community continues to be blessed by the protection of the Lord during this time of celebration. Psalm 127 and 132 lays out a variety of different ways that God blesses the people. 
In Psalm 133, the result of God's blessing is this unity in worship. And then the turn comes to the community now blessing God. And so it's this note that we end on. The first word was repentance, turning, moving in a new direction. The last word is bless. Now there are two words for bless used in the Old Testament. One of those words is Asherah. For example, back again to Psalm 1, we read, Blessed, Asherah is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Asherah is the sense that we have that our life is going pretty good. It is our human perspective on our circumstances. And we have, I think, kind of a twisted understanding of this in our pop culture conscience through the hashtag blessed phenomenon. Some of you are familiar with this. This used to be a big deal when I was in college ministry. My students would, would use it all the time. You know, professor canceled the midterm, hashtag blessed. <laughs> Got a free burrito at Chipotle, hashtag blessed. And we were in Boston, so we'd have snow days, and that was like big time, hashtag blessed. <laughs> now, that, it's kind of funny, and, and it is sort of a superficial understanding of this word Asherah, but you get the idea, right? It has much more to do with our experience of what's going on around us, of what's happening in our lives. It's the sense that something good is happening to me. It is circumstantial blessing. But there's another word, another Hebrew word used for bless, and it is the word barakah. And barakah is always used in reference to God's activity, to what God is doing. And it has nothing to do with how good or bad our life might be going at a particular moment. Barakah is not connected to our circumstances. Job chapter 1, this is a, a somewhat famous verse. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Barakah be the name of the Lord. In many ways, it's the, the opposite of hashtag blessed. The opposite of how our world trains us to think. That if things are going well, then there must be some sort of, of uh, you know, positive force behind that. Now, whether we like the way things are going in our lives or not, Baraka is this invitation to bless anyway and to trust God's blessing for us. This is the word that's used in Psalm 134. It's used three times. And it's as if to say you cannot come to the end of this journey without dealing with this, without, without wrestling with, without responding to God's grace. Now, a couple of observations about Baraka from the passage. First, <clears throat> we are invited to bless. We are invited to Baraka. Think about that for a minute. That's crazy. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. Now, quick side note. When this psalm was written, it was probably intended as a way to cheer on the Levites and the priests, those who were deeply involved 
and the ceremonies of the feast. And, and it, 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 it um, highlights those who are doing the night shift, right? Those who are serving during the night. And you can imagine how during a long festival, this has been you know, a week to two weeks long, and you're working the night shift, this would have been you know, encouraging words. But with, with our perspective, with a New, Te- uh, New Testament perspective, we see that there's an even bigger intention beyond just being an encouragement to those who were participating in the feast. In the New Testament, in, in 1 Peter, we're told that we are a royal priesthood. And so when we look at this psalm through that lens, this is an invitation extended to any follower of Jesus to give blessing Barakah to God. What this shows us is how uh, real of a relationship God invites us into. This blessing is being reciprocated. And we don't need a a mediator. We don't need to go to a special place in order to to do this, to to have some sort of transaction. This is an, an incredible intimate relationship that the maker of heaven and earth, as we read later in the psalm, invites us into. Now, it probably goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. We can never out-bless God. That's not really the point of, of what's being said here. Reciprocal doesn't mean equal, but we are invited to bless God. Now, this leads to a second observation. There's a physical response to this invitation, right? Verse 2, lift up your hands. This lifting up of our hands, this is an act of submission. So, yes, we are invited to bless God, but he's still God and we are still his created beings. To live in right relationship with God is to submit to him, to his authority, to his leadership, to his blessing this posture of hands raised is also another reminder that we are so much more than brains that our response to God is deeper than ideas we're not just to intellectually agree to a couple points of doctrine or to say some nice words about God the invitation is for our whole life to respond to his work to his blessing to his grace We respond intellectually and emotionally and physically. Then one final observation in verse 3, we see the move from the specific and the local to the global and the universal. May the Lord bless you in Zion, local and specific, he who made heaven and earth global and universal. God always works in the particulars in named people and places. Why are there so many names and places in Scripture? The fancy theological word here is eminence. God's in it with us. But he is also the one who made all of it. He's the maker of heaven and earth. This is the fancy theological word transcendence. And so it's on this note, sort of holding those two truths together, God with us, eminent, God bigger beyond us, transcendent, that the Hebrew pilgrims are now sent back out. Time to go home. And they're sent back out on this word that the God that you've encountered here in this temple 
in Jerusalem at this point in time in history during this festival is the same God who's going to go with you as you journey back home to your town, to your village, wherever you're from. This God who made heaven and earth transcendent is also with you, imminent. And as you've been singing through all these psalms, he's with you through everything. The highs, the lows. And he seeks to bless you. He wants to bless you. And he invites you to bless him back. This final word is a benediction. And it is an act of holy imagination. The maker of heaven and earth with us. Not just in Jerusalem during a festival, during a religious ceremony, but all the time, everywhere we go. Now I think cultivating this holy imagination is one of the great challenges for 21st century disciples, especially here in the West. Again, we have more than enough information. But do we have holy imaginations? You cannot simply intellectualize your way to understanding how the maker of heaven and earth loves you and cares about you and wants to bless you. That takes holy imagination. And so as we come in for a closer, I want to I walk us through two more passages of Scripture that I think can help us cultivate and grow and stretch this kind of imagination. So if you have a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 1. It'll also be up on the screen, but this is one of those passages where if you're like an underliner, if you underline stuff in your Bible, this one's got to be underlined, highlighted, starred, whatever you do. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, these are words about Jesus. It says this, Jesus is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together, transcendence. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Five times this passage uses the phrase, you probably picked up on it, all things. In my teaching, my, my, my study, I love to you know, dig into, look at the, the original language, the Greek and the Hebrew, and, and sometimes I think that there's insights for us there in those words. We just did an exercise in that with that word bless a few moments ago. Here, the best translation of the Greek for this phrase is all things. There's no subtlety, there's no nuance here. It's literally all things. And so what does that mean? All things. 
This is where we have to use our holy imaginations. Every horrible and evil thing that I've done, Jesus reconciles all things. Every horrible and evil thing done to you, Jesus reconciles all things. Now let me just be real clear here for a moment. This, this doesn't erase those things. Those things still shape us and mark us. This text says they're reconciled. They're transformed. Let's keep going here. That bad ending to that job, that abuse, that unexpected tragedy, that terrible relationship that you got in, all things. Divorce, cancer, all things. Those false accusations brought against you, that money that you lost, that family drama you dealt with last week at Thanksgiving, all things. Loneliness, depression, confusion, Jesus is reconciling all things. A holy imagination also allows us to see God with us in that friend that brings us food, the home group that rallies around us during a difficult time, that unexpected bonus from work, all things. A holy imagination allows you to see Jesus as you clean up one more mess around your house, do one more dish, have one more difficult conversation, all things. Now, one more passage of Scripture. Psalm 23, for many people, is sort of the ultimate of the Psalms. And what I want us to do now is just read this together. It should be up on the screen, and then a couple of closing thoughts, and we'll, we'll be done. So read with me, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now there's a ton to say about Psalm 23, and we don't have time to get into all of it. But what I want you to see is that the promise of this psalm, the promise of all the psalms, is right here at the literal center of Psalm 23. You are with me. You are with me. This is the essence of a holy imagination, the ability to recognize God's presence with us always. This, by the way, also Jesus' promise to his disciples, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so the challenge for us is to live this way. 
like he is always with us, reconciling all things, seeking to bless. We're going to close our, our time together this morning the way that we always do with communion and worship. And so a quick word about communion. In communion, we remember that peace, to quote Colossians 1 again, peace has been made by the blood of the cross. That God has reconciled all things to himself through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that he has blessed us with a reciprocal, life-giving relationship with himself, the maker of heaven and earth. We remember that every time we take communion. But before we get to communion, Jane and her team are going to uh, play a song for us. And we wanted to create some space before we got to communion and prayer and worship, the stuff that we normally do to close our time, some space to reflect. Some of the psalms that we've studied are going to be up on the screen and, and maybe you need to see one of those or read one of those to sort of help you with this moment. It's kind of there for you as you need. But what I really want to challenge you, encourage you to do during this time as Jane sings and the band plays is to hone in on and name that area of your life where you need to use your holy imagination. Is there an area in your life where you just don't see it. How could God be with me in, in this? Is this really one of those all things? Where do you need to trust that the maker of heaven and earth is with you, blessing you, even in that, whatever it might be? That hill, that valley, that disappointment, that joy, that high, that low, trusting that in all things, he is with you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, it's so hard to, to actually do that. To actually trust that you are making all things new, that you have reconciled all things to yourself, that you have actually overcome all of our sin, all the destruction and havoc that we wreak, that you have more than enough grace, more than enough barakah to overcome it. God, there are areas of our life where it's easy to see that, and then there are other areas of our lives where it's nearly impossible. And so, God, we bring those to you now. We bring those to you this morning and, and say we don't get it. We do not understand how it works. But we trust that in all things, you are with us. Father, if there are those here this morning who need to, uh, who need to just uh, confess and trust you for the first time, I pray that they would have the courage to do that. If there are people here carrying heavy burdens, that they would lay that before you now. That if there are areas of our life that we need to bring to you, we would have the courage to do that this morning and to trust, again, that you are with us in all things. We pray this in the strong, powerful name of Jesus. Amen.